Hello, North Sight. So good to be with you today. My name is Chandra Stiles, and I'm the Youth and Young Adults Pastor at Forest Grove Community Church, Attridge, and I'm really thankful to be sharing with you today in our Kingdom Culture series. Today, we're looking at a passage from the book of Matthew, commonly called the Beatitudes. And we're talking about how to be people who embrace kingdom culture. We have to first address the kingdom of our heart. So let's dive in. Let's set the scene. So this passage at the beginning of Matthew 5 is actually the beginning of a, a greater passage that has come to be known as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is a teaching that Jesus gives to the largest group of people he ever teaches in front of and is the longest teaching that he ever gives. So likely it happened over several days and there was thousands of people spread out all along the hillside of Capernaum. Now, I'm a person who loves systems, so I really like to think about the system that would have needed to be used in teaching in this way. You know, when did they take breaks? When Jesus's voice got to the like edge of the rim that it couldn't go any farther, was there like a person who echoed it? Did Jesus move around? It's kind of fun to just imagine physically and what, what it looked like and how it worked when Jesus engaged this large crowd in these teachings. Regardless, Jesus was about to teach such a large crowd who were drawn to him and show them the way of the kingdom. Now, in this crowd, there would have been kind of three categories of people that we commonly see described in scripture. First, there would have been his disciples, the, the 12 men that he kept closest to him that he was trying to show every day how to live the kingdom life. Then there would have been the religious teachers, the teachers of the law who would have known a lot about God and the customs that they were already practicing when in relationship with God. And then there would be the crowds. The crowds would have been people of diversity, from diverse places with diverse perspectives. Some of them would have been drawn by curiosity, others skepticism, maybe some were critical thinkers, or others were just craving for a message of good news. All of them would have been desiring to see a greater glimpse into who Jesus was and what he had to say about the kingdom of God. Before he embarks on this teaching of pretty epic proportion, he pauses to take a moment with just the few who are surrounding him. Those who walked closest with him, his disciples. So before going out and giving a bunch of instructions on what kingdom people do, he took a moment to turn to those who were following him closest and he gave them a snapshot as to who we are supposed to be in the kingdom of God. That before we can actually act like kingdom people, our hearts need to beat like kingdom people. And he explains that when our hearts align with these kingdom characteristics, we experience kingdom benefits. And this character list that he presents to them is what we call the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are a character profile for someone with a kingdom heart. Jesus speaks to a culture that was so centered around doing the right thing in God's eyes that he cuts right through the exterior and goes right to the inside and addresses the matters of the heart. He confronts the values that would have been so ingrained in each other from the culture around them and he says, no, now you have a new culture. You have new values. You have a new identity to operate from. He doesn't list things that are entrance requirements to the kingdom or ethical demands for personal behavior, but instead, he instates an identity of kingdom people when we know we are invited and blessed by God to be how he has created us to be. And he outlines a heart posture for the kingdom that comes with kingdom benefits. 
And the contrast in each beatitude is really clear. That being a kingdom person does not mean being powerful. But actually, it means emptying ourselves of power, choosing humility, and then in operating in that humility, seeing the kingdom come. So I'd like to walk through each beatitude and take a moment to talk about what it means and embrace the call that we have in each one. Now, one of the beautiful things about the Beatitudes is that each statement has these two poetic clauses. First, there's a declaration of blessing, a statement of identity, who we are as kingdom people, and that we're blessed as those people. Second is the way in which we experience that blessing. So the way that the kingdom of heaven comes here to earth when we embody that identity and that characteristic. So let's look at them more closely. I'm going to read them from the New Living Translation. It says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now, you may know this beatitude as blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, we often think of poor as a negative term. Poor is someone to be pitied, someone who's bankrupt or has experienced great unrecoverable loss, someone who is is desperate and without. But being poor in spirit is not someone who needs pity, but instead someone who recognizes that they can produce no spiritual or religious self-help before God. They're spiritually bankrupt in a sense, knowing that only God can fill and fulfill and redeem. It's actually an embracing that our striving will not gain us anything in God's eyes, but yet we are just simply able to be and to receive from God, his kingdom heart. This beatitude kind of undercuts what would have been a really predominant worldview at the time, that, you know, material possessions were a sign of God's approval in one's life or his blessing. It also challenges spiritual sufficiency that religious leaders at the time would have boasted about, saying they do the right things so they, they get the right things from God. And Jesus says, no, it's actually opposite. When we come to him broken and needing him desperately, He fills us. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. To mourn is to grieve. Grief is the loss of anything valuable to us. And that grief, that loss, it produces mourning. It's a a pain or an awareness of the loss at hand, a stifling of, of joy because of deep sorrow. Grief is the recognition that we've lost something that potentially can't even be replaced. Now, our North American culture is not very good at mourning. Pain slows us down, or it makes us less efficient, or it makes us weak. We kind of view mourning or grieving as an inconvenience, especially mourning alongside someone else who is mourning, choosing to mourn with them. We can often just compartmentalize and push through and sympathize with them, but not actually enter the pain they're holding. Mourning takes time, it takes energy, it takes emotion. It has a cost. But Jesus says that there's great beauty in mourning because it's in the depth of deep pain that we are met with the abundance of God's deep comfort, that we can know him more intimately, we can know each other more intimately as we share one another's pain, and our hearts can feel the kingdom in a way that we can't fabricate. 
God blesses those who are humble, for they, for they will inherit the whole earth. Again, you may know this as blessed are the meek. Now, when I was first starting to follow Jesus and I read this beatitude, I thought about these words, humble or meek, and I thought, these words feel weak. You know, meek made me think of like mousy or quiet or someone who's just a pushover. Um, recently, I've been listening to the app Lectio 365. I would recommend it to anyone who needs an app to help them focus on scripture and prayer. Um, and over the last several weeks, they've been going through one beatitude a week. And um, in this app, they defined meek or the word used, uh, or the original word used to, to, to say meek or humble in this passage as a quiet strength that is gener- generously submissive and the humility to think of each other rightly. When you combine those words together, meekness and humility contrast the aggressive, dominant attitudes which we're so often trained to adapt, to survive, or to flourish or prosper. Meekness does not mean that one cannot stand up for what is right or challenge oppressive systems or structures, but instead, the humility and gentleness is meant to be the backdrop for those who take on the strongest causes. And it's that humility that will bring change and movement throughout the whole earth. It's the quiet strength of Rosa Parks on December 1st, 1955, when she, as a black woman, refused to give up her spot to a white person on the colored part of the bus. Or the peaceful humility of Tristan DeRocher's hunger strike to call on the government to attend to the significant need for suicide prevention in our Indigenous communities. This meekness, this humility, changes the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Hunger and thirst signify a desperation that will stop at nothing to fill the need for. If if you've ever gone through a time of your life where you've been on a hike with no water or you've been on a road trip where you didn't stop for food and you feel that desperation for the satisfaction of that need, you know how deeply it goes in your body. Well, this is hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice is another word that can be used that comes deep in our soul. It's a desperation for seeing right-standing relationships with both God and those around us. A desperation for others to experience the freedom that comes from redeemed life with Jesus, but also a desperation for freedom in this world, um, for people who live in oppressed systems. It's a desperation for reparations made with those who've experienced injustice and in so doing, then experience fulfillment, not because we gain from those reparations, but maybe because collective humanity has gained. It's a satisfaction of others' needs, which also satisfies our hunger and thirst for right relationship. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Mercy is a central theme in scripture. It means not getting what one deserves, a pardon from an unfavorable outcome. Mercy is forgiveness towards the guilty or generosity towards the hurting or the needy, regardless of how they found themselves in those circumstances. It is care for the least of these all of the time, without condition. This beatitude shows a cycle in motion, that those who receive mercy then demonstrate mercy 
And in demonstrating mercy, are reminded of their great need for mercy and their privilege to receive, receive it. We are blessed when we are merciful and we are shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Though all of the Beatitudes address the attitudes of the heart, this one actually calls it out. Jesus speaks right to the core of our being, the governing center of of our emotions, our soul, which is the heart. Now, purity or cleanliness would have also been a theme that the religious people of Jesus' day understood. They would have known external rituals that made them clean enough to come before God. Actions on the outside that produced purity on the inside. But again, as Jesus does, he flips that on its head. And he says, first, we must align our hearts with the purity of God's heart. His love and his goodness and his kindness that knows no condition. And out of our hearts, our actions will flow. A heart that is soft towards God and his people is a heart that will see God in and around them all the time. A soft heart to God is a heart that sees God's image in the face of the oppressor or the greedy or the poor and the marginalized or the addicted or the self-righteous or the different. A heart that is soft towards God and his people is a heart that will see God in and around them all the time. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. Or you may know it as blessed are the peacemakers. Peace in scripture is often the Hebrew word shalom. And this word, though most commonly translated as peace, has kind of a more whole encompassing meaning. It means peace, harmony, completeness or wholeness, prosperity, welfare, tranquility. It's the encompassing of broken things that come back into wholeness again. Often when we think of making peace, we often just think of the absence of war or the absence of noise or chaos. Um, Sometimes we think that being a peacemaker means just being passive or having inaction so that we don't cause any conflict. But peacemaking is actually working for peace. It is active. It means engaging, engaging in hard conversations, not always asserting our viewpoint or opinion onto others means listening and hoping, being willing to work through conflict. It means confronting others with a heart that is gentle and not combative, or being willing to be confronted with a similar heart. And it means choosing actions that work towards shalom and completeness. It is in this way that we will be children who look like God, our parent, who takes broken things and makes them whole again. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. This is not a command to go and seek persecution. It's not saying go and find a place where someone will oppose you. But instead, it's spoken as a comfort for those who have stood for what is right and been persecuted or faced opposition because of it. This beatitude is often read as worldly persecution, and likely that's part of the application, that people who are not followers of God or Jesus in his way, would persecute or oppose the ways of people who are. But we must expand our view of this. 
because Jesus would also have known that the religiosity and the self-righteousness of many of the religious leaders at the time would actually prevent followers of Jesus from doing the things that would bring about right and restored relationship with others in exchange for looking right. And so the persecution may have actually come from within those who were in that faith-based mindset. Sometimes our persecution comes from within us. Regardless, we are people who are blessed. And therefore, we know that as we work to see the kingdom of heaven come here on earth, persecution will come and God promises to meet us in it. To embrace the Beatitudes, I think there's three things that we need to consider. The first is that kingdom culture starts in the heart. It starts in the place where our feelings, our emotions, our reasoning begin and overflows into the actions we choose. You know, so often I think as kingdom people, we feel like we need to have kingdom titles. But the Beatitudes don't say, blessed are the pastors or the worship leaders or the missionaries or the preachers. You know, it doesn't say blessed are the council members or the junior high leaders or those who run Alpha or those who volunteer in soup kitchens. Those things are good. They're really good. They're in line with the parts of the Sermon on the Mount that are going to come later. But Jesus says first that the blessing we receive from being kingdom people is the invitation to let his spirit, the Holy Spirit, change and reshape our heart to look more like his. That we must love with his love and feel with his heart. And out of our heart, our actions will flow. The second thing I think we need to embrace is that being blessed is a state of being that God speaks over us of experiencing hope and joy and freedom, which is independent of circumstances. And it results in seeing God's kingdom come into fruition in our own lives and the lives of people around us. Blessed is a state of being, and it is independent of our circumstance or our outcome. It's not privilege or, or oppression. It's not saying that we are blessed when we do this thing, but that we actually start from a place of being blessed. And because of that, we can operate in these identities. It's not that we're blessed when we work for peace or if we're pure, but instead, because we're blessed, we can do those things. It's a state of knowing that our hope and our joy and our freedom comes from someone outside of the confines of measures here on earth. And so we can choose to trust in and live into it because it comes from God. It's a state of knowing this and keeping our hearts soft to us longing for God's kingdom to come and heaven to break in here on earth. Our blessing is not an outcome of obedience or striving. Last, I think that to embrace the Beatitudes, we need to recognize that we need to align our character, sorry, that to align our character with Jesus's, we must assess our view of power. That if we want to walk in the ways of Jesus, we need to recognize the way that Jesus self-emptied himself of the power that he could have on earth. You know, there are always power dynamics at play in any situation we're in. Our workspaces, our households, or our families, you know, gender, race, politics, it's everywhere. Our world functions and often elevates a rise to power by reducing the power of others. Greatness comes when we are more powerful than someone else. But Jesus comes to invert the power structures. And he says, when we become less, he and his kingdom becomes more. He chose a human life that modeled the self-emptying of power to recognize God's power that can fill us. 
You know, often when I read scripture, I have to remind myself of the lenses of power that I actually bring to the text simply by being me. You know, I read it and I think about it partnered with my own experiences as a woman or a mother or a pastor or even in my whiteness. And I have to stop and remind myself that God's word is his revealing of himself to all people in all power structures. And so I step back and I ask myself, how would the Beatitudes be read by young parents living in poverty or a young woman who's trapped in human trafficking? How would someone struggling with mental health hear this or someone living in famine or drought or starvation hear this? How would Jesus's character and call hit them differently? While I was prepping for this teaching, I found a visual representation that was so striking. It was this beautiful picture of looking at this passage through a different lens of power. Laura James is a black artist from New York, and she loves the style of Ethiopian Christian art. I would encourage you to Google her and look at her work. It's fantastic. In her work, called Black is Blessed, she depicts the Beatitudes by merging this Ethiopian Christian art form with scenes from the transatlantic slave trade of the 18th century in the American South. So she partners the posture of humility and persecution and mourning and all the other postures of the Beatitudes with the experience of those who are enslaved. Those who God calls blessed are those who are being whipped and sold and exploited. And in the middle of the picture, Christ is there. And Christ is represented as an African, placing him in solidarity with the slaves in each scene. This displays his unity with them, that while still being fully God, he embraces being fully human alongside of them. And they can find their story in his story. That no matter their human dictated value and worth, that he calls them blessed. But also knowing that he calls all of his children blessed, even their oppressors. So as they experience oppression and persecution, they hold the hope that they too can experience a kingdom heart for all people. I found this image extremely powerful. Jesus came to invert power structures. He redirects the expectation for a powerful, conquering Savior to one that is born in the finite weakness of flesh to a marginalized family. He takes his divine nature and he puts it in human form, allowing it to be contained by the limitations of the human experience. And he preaches and lives a life of self-sacrifice and self-emptying. These characteristics are one that emulate the posture that Jesus took when he came to earth, a posture of emptying himself of the human power he could have had and instead submitting to the systems and structures and people around him. We're reminded of this again when we read Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8. It says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of God, sorry, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. 
Jesus stood in solidarity with his people by taking on the human experience and fullness, even unto an unjust death. We will only be able to embrace the kingdom heart if we can assess the power positions we sit in with honesty and submit them to the way of Jesus. The Beatitudes are a picture of the character of Jesus that we now are invited to be, that we as blessed children of God with kingdom hearts can now overflow with kingdom ways. As we close up, I want to leave you with two questions. And I just want to remind you that um, these questions can be hard to process, but that that it's important to ask Jesus into that processing and also to process with the people around you who are safe people to wrestle these things with. So my two questions are these. Um, which beatitude is Jesus drawing you to embody in your life right now? Maybe it's one that might feel a little bit tender when you felt prompted to as we talked about it, one that you know you've been avoiding because it feels too hard. My second question is this. Which beatitude or characteristics of God does the world need us as the church, as the body of Christ, to embody so that they experience Jesus' love right now? As we face a pandemic, as we face so many shifting changes in culture, especially with, with racial injustice, who is God calling us to rise up and be in this time? I'd like to pray for you. Jesus, thank you so much that you are good, that you're here, and that you're at work. Thank you, Lord, for your character. God, that you that you did not um, come to this earth to be one who displayed power and dominance, but instead that you modeled to us self-emptying and self-sacrifice so that we could enter into a life that is one laid down for one another. Jesus, as we talk so much about loving our neighbor in this time, I pray that we would recognize that loving our neighbor comes out of a kingdom heart. And God, I pray that as we um, just think about and meditate on the Beatitudes, God, that you would just bring to heart and mind the places that you're inviting us in to focus on specifically in this time. And I pray as we do that, God, that you would help us wrestle with the things that come up within us. But as you form that character in us, Lord, that it would be a characteristic that helps us see your kingdom come here on earth. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your spirit that is within us. We pray for more of you, Holy Spirit. Jesus, we pray all of these things in your name. Amen.